So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Inside the Mind of Champions. I hope you've had a great couple of weeks since the last episode. Thanks for all your support in getting the show to sixth place in the Apple charts for management in the UK. We've jumped up the charts as well in Belgium, Zimbabwe, New Zealand and Ireland. Sadly, we slid off the number one spot in Nepal into a dark crevasse down the mountain. But um, it's great uh, to think that we're having that impact. So thanks again for those who've sent their messages through on LinkedIn or by email to hello at sportingedge.com. And definitely those who've taken the time to click the five star rating and leave a review. Collywobs82 says the podcast is inspiring them to progress on their morning walk or run. We've got Armstrong C83 said this podcast offers the most complete set of actionable insights I've found. I'm thrilled with that, Armstrong C83. Uh, Undisclosed467 said uh, you've been enormously beneficial for my stress levels, so that's great to hear. And thanks also for great positive comments from John Stewart. Gary, Alberto and Estelle for your five-star review as well. I really appreciate, um, you know, the chance that you've taken there to leave a review and uh, ask me some questions. I really want to try and make this a different kind of podcast by trying to make it as practical as possible because I know there's so much content out there and so many great podcasts. So hopefully together we can make this a real practical toolkit so that you can be successful and learn from these high performers from our interview library. The best dynamic shout out this week deserves a special mention. It came through on Twitter to my account at The Sporting Edge and it's from one of the South African cricketers, Colin Ingram, and he was out running a long trail run. He was holding the camera arm's length while traversing what looked like the back of Table Mountain. So here's his message. Quick shout out to uh, you, Snapper. Thanks very much for uh, the company. Uh, through the whole of lockdown. Every week I've listened to uh, one of your podcasts while, while on a long challenging run out here in the, in the wild of Africa. So just wanted to give you a shout out and say thanks very much. Uh, been really insightful and, uh, and I've learned a lot. So thank you. All right, keep them coming. Cheers. Well, it sounded like Colin was getting blown off the mountain there. So I hope you're listening again, mate. Thanks for sharing that. It's great to know that we're supporting you and that you're keeping your body active and you're feeding your mind with thought-provoking content. I have to say, for me personally, it's a huge motivation 
that the show has grown uh, and also helping people across the world. It's really bizarre to think that I'm sitting here waffling away in isolation into my microphone and you're tuning in from Philadelphia or the Philippines. So I don't take that for granted and I know your attention is incredibly valuable. So I promise to make the best use of your time that I can. And that links me to the key theme of the day, which is trying to understand our motivations. The last episode we explored, we thought through some of the strategies which elite performers use to stay committed, even when they're feeling flat and when their motivation has waned. I loved that insight from Lord Coe, where he talks about champions having that insatiable desire to find out more about themselves and to keep grinding it out, even when there's no prize or headlines. With all the uncertainty and disruption, many of us had our motivation and commitment tested in recent times, and we need to find that inner resolve to fight on through. But in today's session, we're moving back down the scale from those gritty tactics to explore the science of motivation, where it comes from and what we can do to understand our own motivations and the motivations of those people in our teams. So here's a taster of what's to come. I think with international sport, uh, there will always be money that's a lever, a motivational lever. There's no doubt about it. And winning is important, but it's not the only thing. Fear of failure is definitely something that that probably lights my fire more than anything else. You know, it's it's. Um, I am totally convinced that someone else wants to be champion jockey more than me. You know, if you dedicate your life to it, then it is always about improving and. And, and striving to become better and better. That says everything I think you need to know about autonomy. Do you want the perfect, happy existence or your life? We want our own, we want to make it happen. The topic of motivation is a really fascinating one. I remember the module in my master's degree being like a battle for supremacy between the different theorists on who was able to pin down human motivation to a set of two or three simple criteria. While we need these frameworks to make sense of complex subjects, I think motivation is much more dynamic as a process and can change regularly. We can define motivation as the process that underpins the direction, the intensity and the persistence of our efforts in achieving a desired goal or outcome. So let's break that down. We have a goal. So motivation is about wanting something different inside of us or outside of us in our environment. What we want then is to shift from where we are now to something in the future. There's a tension, an inner conflict, which creates the energy and desire to get from A to B. So we need to identify what the change is that's going to take the effort. And we need to understand why this change is so crucial for us. To paint that picture of that definition, imagine being stuck in the middle of the desert and you've run out of water. You're hot and exhausted but your life depends on you finding water. The direction is going to be pretty clear. You can see a settlement out on the horizon. The intensity would be seen through your high, steady pace to get there and your persistence would remain until you tasted that cold water. Finding our motivation can be a challenge. So as you're on your dog walk, riding your bike or reclining in your chair, just think about those three factors. What's the direction of your motivation? What's your goal? What's your end point? How much do you want this goal? Is it a nice to have or is it a life and death drive? And how long will you chase it 
before you give in. That persistence is going to be critical. I've received a number of questions from listeners off the back of the last few episodes. So I've designed this session to showcase some of the traditional methods of motivating people and how that's left some gaps. As we heard from Sir Dave Brailsford in the recent episode, our motivation often ebbs and flows, but the key is to stay committed to our goals. Anyone can have a bad day on a project or a diet, but we need to get back to our plan as soon as possible rather than letting those individual setbacks turn into a habit. Some psychologists speak about away from motivation being stronger than towards motivation. In our first insight from our digital library, champion jockey A.P. McCoy explains the power of this moving away from motivation. Bear in mind as you're listening that A.P. McCoy broke pretty much every bone in his body and he was the champion jockey for 20 years in a row, yet he still feared failure. First and foremost, I think that people in sport are involved in their sports because they love what they do and they enjoy what they do. And I, and I love what I do and, 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 and I'm sure anyone else that's been lucky enough to be successful in sport loves what they do. I mean, you have to actually really enjoy your sport to, to be successful at it, in my mind. You know, I think you can't be successful at it if you're not enjoying it. So I really enjoy my job, but fear of failure is definitely something that, that probably lights my fire more than anything else. You know, it's, it's, um, I am totally convinced that someone else wants to be champion jockey more than me and someone else wants to ride more winners than I do. And, um, you know, that is something that I worry about every, every day. You know, I, I, I've always worried about it. It's not something that's just happened in the last year. You know, from the first year that I was champion jockey, the fear of not being champion jockey has, has kept me going as much as probably the love of actually riding and the, the love of riding winners. You know, I think failure is part of learning, but as long as you try your best and try hard doing it, then at least you haven't failed at trying. Um, so everyone, everyone fails in life, and, and fear of failure is... One of the ex, you know, one of the aspects of my life, I think, that keeps me going the most. As we've said before, becoming a champion takes incredible sacrifice and discipline. And if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. So sometimes it's these dark forces and the fear of failure, which gives champions that jolt of adrenaline and keeps them pushing on through adversity. The problem is that when it becomes our primary motivation, it's almost like you've got a pack of wolves chasing you day after day. And it's not a particularly enjoyable place to be. In truth, none of us have this infinite store of motivation within us. So we need this balance of internal motivators and external motivators out in the environment to keep us motivated for long periods of time. And this is where we can split the sources of motivation into the extrinsic motivators, those factors that are outside us in the environment. These are the most visible and common type of motivators, and they include things like status, being number one, being the champion, winning the Olympic gold, or being promoted. It could be rankings, so comparing ourselves to our rivals. I once worked with a sales organization where they had this live dynamic dashboard of the sales rankings for for every week and every day that was changing minute by minute, and, and every quarter they would sort of pause the rankings and say, right, the top 20 salespeople, you're going to Barbados with your family in an all expenses paid trip. 
Uh, the next group down were going to Barcelona or something like that. And that was the, the sort of second prize for the second group on the sales targets. And then maybe the third group, I don't know if they went to Blackpool or something, or maybe they didn't even get anything. So that was being reset all the time. And it was that internal competition quarter by quarter, which really drove that discretional effort and those extra sales in to motivate people towards those prizes, if you like, and rewards. Another extrinsic motivator is praise. And this can come in the form of verbal from our peers and and teammates and, and bosses. But it can also, in these social platforms, take the form of uh, shares or, or likes on the various um, you know, social media devices because that external validation lets you know that you are appreciated. So external praise is one. And there's also negative external motivators like penalties or fines. Think about detentions at school or parking and speeding fines. Those are external to us in the environment and they're trying to keep us within some behavioural boundaries so that we don't break the rules. Criticism might be another one that, uh, you know, we don't want to get criticised and humiliated in front of a team in, in a meeting. So it keeps us on our toes and keeps us motivated to do the right thing and deliver good work. But, you know, that balance of extrinsic motivators is really interesting. And one question that I had through on LinkedIn from Angela, who asked, is money a good motivator? Well, Angela, you've opened a a can of worms there and and money of course salary and bonuses are are the most talked about kind of motivators most people would love more money from the work but money's an interesting one I was coaching a hedge fund team a few years ago uh, over a particular period and, and they'd absolutely smashed their targets and got on the right side of some big market shifts and for one particular team their bonuses were massive over a million pounds for each person on the desk but it created a big issue within the team because they weren't happy that one of the team members had received the same amount of bonus because they felt they'd contributed less and I was fascinated that rather than focus on their own life-changing sum of money they focused on the injustice so I think one of the first rules is that money can be an incredibly powerful motivator but the key thing is that it needs to be fair for your industry for your team and for the context that your business is is currently experiencing. If you haven't seen or read any of Dan Pink's work in this area, I think it's really worth tuning in to the RSA Animates video. I'll leave it in the show notes at the bottom of this podcast or, or his book called Drive, because he shows some fascinating research studies where people were told that if they got paid more money, they were expected to deliver more creativity you know, and more success on cognitive tasks, but it actually had a negative impact. And it's this strange flip that you would expect that if you paid more money, you would get more creativity or more performance. But it's almost like the money in that particular experiment was like a blaring distraction away from that automatic flow state of people thinking creatively and sort of joining the dots. goes against what we all think. So, we think that if you pay people more, they'll do more. But this, these experiments were fascinating. And it showed that when it came to physical labor or following a mechanical process, more money often gives that discretional effort and, and performance. But when it came to the kind of cognitive work that most of us do now, more money didn't work as a motivator. And I thought it was relevant for businesses at the moment because many of us are battling through this year and we don't have loads of cash to invest in 
bonus schemes and structures to engage and motivate our team. So we need to find another way to motivate people beyond money. And we've seen this with some of the sports stars as well, this sort of flip that we'd expect more pay to get more performance. I remember when Fernando Torres, the the sort of star striker signed for Chelsea on a massive fee, it was almost like the pressure to be the biggest player ever on that biggest price tag eroded the skills and the instinct and the decision making that had brought him to the club in the first place through being an incredibly successful striker. And I saw the same at the IPL with a player that I'd worked with that got a a huge fee in one of the auctions, around 10 times his normal annual salary. And in his own mind, he put so much pressure on himself now to be 10 times as good a player as he had been on the day when he got put through the auction. And, you know, I think from his perspective, he was wealthier, but less happy and less successful. And I suppose in this case, the auction fees were so transparent that it wasn't just the money, it was the public expectation on him. He he wasn't the underdog anymore. He was expected to deliver on their investment. And what seemed like a dream financial windfall became a nightmare burden in the player's mind. So I think money's got a really interesting place to play in, in our motivation, but it's not the be all and end all. And we can't explore motivation without a nod to the legendary American psychologist Abraham Maslow and his famous theory of human motivation in 1943, where he talked about humans having this hierarchy of needs, where the base of the pyramid model that he outlined, he said there are you know physiological needs and, and safety needs to stay alive, to stay safe and, and stay well. And then he moved up through the pyramid, looking at psychological needs of belonging and love, and then up to accomplishments and, and feelings of esteem. Uh, and then finally, at the top of this pyramid model was self-actualization needs, which is where we have this drive and desire to be the best we can possibly be for ourselves. It's interesting to think that money plays a role throughout those levels. It buys food and shelter at the lowest level. It buys us aspirational things as we start to you know, move up through those levels. But um just because we've got more money doesn't necessarily translate into fulfillment. And there are plenty of miserable millionaires out there. And this is the biggest trap in our society, I think. In some ways, earning more to buy, you know, more can just reinforce in that feeling that you're not enough in the first place. And, and marketeers are preying on this by saying that if only we had this skin cream or these clothes or this car, then you'd feel absolutely great. But it's uh, you just realise that you you didn't feel the whole, and you're ready to sell. They're ready to sell you the next gadgets and upgrades, and the, and the cycle continues. I remember as a young pro cricketer doing quite well financially for a few years, and at my age, I was you know thrilled to go into a showroom and buy a new VW Golf. I thought it was the business driving out of that showroom. But it's interesting on my own reflections that as that new car smell faded in the months ahead. So did my contentment. And I found soon I was looking at the next car up in the price range and the different sports models and all sorts of things. And I think having that motivation to keep progressing in our lives is great. But it's a dangerous trap when we market with commodities because we can just end up being more miserable in a bigger house and car. So there has to be more to motivation than more money and buying more things. In the final years of his life, before Maslow died of a heart attack in 1970, he was reflecting on his model. 
in his personal journal, seeing it as incomplete, which is really interesting. He explored this final stage at the top of the pyramid where he'd got self-actualization previously and he started to add this new level which he related to transcendence, dedicating your life to a higher purpose and a bigger calling than just your own success. It's almost this timeless legacy that would live on beyond you. Maybe it was him coming to terms with his own mortality that made him think that there has to be more to life than just being successful for ourselves. But money, status, glory and praise are a heady cocktail. There are so many stories of corruption emerged in sport, whether it's the doping scandals of, of Lance Armstrong to stay at the top of the world cycling or players taking financial bribes to fix matches in cricket. There are downside to just being focused overly on extrinsic motivation and business has seen its scandals too. Imagine how safety or quality could be compromised to get a job done by a certain extrinsic deadline and, and time gate. How fixing car emission rates, harvesting data from our social feeds or manipulating the LIBOR rates could deliver personal gain to those individuals and profit to those companies. But ultimately, it destroys our trust in those global brands. So there's definitely a cost and money and motivation is really complex, Angela. So thanks for asking that question. I was thinking actually about the different styles of motivation. And for my daughter, if she shouted me to say she tidied her room, she I could imagine her skipping through and seeing how proud she was of herself for, for tidying her, her bedroom. And if you know my daughter, then you'd know that this is a hypothetical example. But I'd go on then to say, oh, well done. That looks absolutely beautiful. You've done such a good job. Here's five pounds. And she'd be amazed. She'd think, wow, that's an amazing you know, reward for doing something that I'd done anyway. So the surprise might catch her and that glow of the praise that she got and that un unexpected bonus. But what about if I kept paying her every Saturday to maintain that smart bedroom? It might last for a few weeks, but then she'd lose that initial spark of joy and satisfaction that she got from doing it on her own. And down the line, imagine if I stopped paying her. She'd probably re refuse to tidy her bedroom because it's not worth it anymore. The money's dried up, so why should I do it? And all of a sudden, what she did from her own volition and her own pride for free she now wants double time payment for otherwise it's not worth doing so i think what money's done in that situation is erode the personal pride and satisfaction she had for doing it and that's actually a reward in itself and that's what i will be telling her to turn that hypothetical example into reality without payment and the same goes for rankings and and getting to number one i was working with the south african cricket team for a few years in their quest to be number one in test cricket and by working incredibly hard personally working together as a cohesive group and staying disciplined under pressure their fight was incredible they scrapped and won from some incredible positions and they got to number one in the world so this motivator was so powerful to give them the discipline and focus that they need so getting to number one was the powerful motivator until they got there and then as soon as they got there, they lost some of the hunger, some complacency set in, and they slid straight back down to number four in the world rankings. And and it's like they needed something much bigger to keep them at their best. So 
that saying of getting to the top is tough, but staying there is even harder, is all about that interplay of extrinsic motivators being like rocket fuel to get us up there. But we need something more to sustain it. And I think a lot of businesses are, are reflecting on this at the moment. So we'll talk more about the pro tiers in a minute and I'll share more about that case study. But the core message here is about how we set ourselves goals and targets, outcomes and financial measures. But what happens when we reach them? What next? Success can weaken our drive. We can become entitled and complacent. So it's almost like the striving is where the fun is. The exploring is where we feel our most fulfilled. But the world keeps us in those regimented boxes and craves outcomes. So it's easy to see why our extrinsic motivations are so clear and and sort of evident in the world. And just to go over those, just as a summary, we've got things like praise, which can be incredibly motivating as long as people aren't looking all the time for external validation and craving those retweets and likes. We've got money that can be motivating as an extrinsic motivator, especially when you get up, uh, you know, to get up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But once we become comfortable and we are not scrapping for our lives, more money doesn't necessarily bring us more happiness or success. Then we've got status, which is the signal that we've progressed to a new level. We can have that powerful feeling, but we've got to remember to stay humble and not abuse that power because we need to keep progressing and keep growing. Deadlines and fines can definitely help to keep people compliant in the short term, but we're not really going to unlock true engagement in the workplace with those. And those trophies and awards are brilliant, but they're just a physical representation of of what we've achieved in the past. And let's be honest, the world's moving so fast at the moment that we don't want to spend too long polishing them and realise that our rivals are already ahead of us down the line. So we've got to move on beyond some of those extrinsic motivations. They've got such an important part to play for us as individuals to have some extrinsic goals and targets for us to achieve, but also for us in our organisations to be able to develop fair and equitable systems of salary and bonus at different levels across thousands of employees. So they've got an incredibly important role to play, but there's definitely a shift to balancing the motivational mix because this high octane chase of financial goals, profit margins and being in the number one position has long been the definition of winning and success. But with the pandemic and the environmental impact of consumerism and the smash and grab mentality of some corporations, lots of people are looking for a more sustainable and purpose driven era that's definitely gathering momentum. So we need to consider this next level of motivations too. And this is the intrinsic motivations. They come from within. They are satisfying and gratifying all on their own, even when no one's there to pay us or praise us or rank us in the top 10. They just feel brilliant to do. And that's what keeps us motivated. So these intrinsic motivations are often skimmed over because they're a bit harder to pinpoint. And that's why I'll use the acronym, the GAPS, so that you can find the gaps in your own motivational mix. So if we use that acronym to remember each of these factors, the first one is growth. It's the opposite of complacency and having arrived at a new level of status. It really means that 
we're we're growing and we're learning and we're we're constantly moving it's that quest for continual improvement that is definitely important in our motivational mix we're planning the next challenge we're growing our skills we've got the courage to take some risks you know we've seen the joy in kids when they learn to master a new skill for the first time like a, a toddler walking or a child playing a piece of music through without making a mistake it's that exploration and expression and joy that we need to reconnect with that progress I think we're hardwired to make progress and to learn new ways of doing things as we explore the world and we thrive on learning and growth. So it's really important that we've got this sense that we are making progress. We are better this month than we were last month. We are better and more equipped as a leader and a performer this year than we were last year. And to showcase this, let's hear from gold medalist Amy Williams her pursuit for personal growth and continual improvement was the legal drug that set her direction, intensity and persistence of her motivation throughout her career. I really enjoy, you know, knowing that I'm improving, seeing improvements. I'm, I think as an athlete, you, you become very good at writing things down. I write down personal bests. I have tests all the time. You have to reach certain targets and goals and... Every day, every week, you can see improvements. Am I getting stronger in the gym? Can I lift more weight? Can I not? Um, and yeah, it becomes this, for me, I guess over the last years, particularly before Olympics, a complete obsession. When, you, when I first started Skeleton, the first time I went down and you got a time at the end of the track and I looked at it and I thought, hmm, can I go quicker? Yes or no? And then you get back to the top of the track and you go down and maybe you did or maybe you didn't get quicker and then the next person goes down and they've got a better time than you and, and then that's it. You, you're like, oh, well, I can go down quicker then if that person can. And I guess that's just where it grows from. And, and then, you know, if you dedicate your life to it, then it is always about improving and, and, and striving to become better and better. So you can hear the passion in Amy's voice there. The thrill of seeing herself improve was the main focus. Of course, there's beating others and recording faster times and, and sport gives you the opportunity to measure those performances and see those incremental games. But it's that feeling of seeing yourself move closer to your personal best and realising your life's potential that is the drug here that we're talking about. It's personal growth. Now, the problem is that how many headlines do we hear that someone shaved one hundredth of a second off their time in training or that Mark in sales has a slightly better customer service score this month? These things don't really feature in the outside world as headlines. And that's why we need to dial up the volume on these intrinsic motivators, because when we focus on our own growth and our own improvement in our health, our relationships and our work, that can be incredibly liberating and it can provide these daily doses of satisfaction and motivations that are just absolutely critical to maintaining long-term behaviour and mindset change. I think now is a great time to think about our growth and surround ourselves by interesting people and content that can sharpen our self-awareness and our skills There's so much going on in the wider world that's out of our control 
But actually, the one thing we can control is our mindset and, you know, how much learning we try and soak up in our own careers. For those of you that follow me on LinkedIn, you'll know that my posts have featured the exciting news about our new members club, which is launching next month. I'm so excited to offer you personal access to this incredible video library of insights from coaches, neuroscientists, strategists and well-being experts that myself and the team at Sporting Edge have been creating for the last 10 years. And for the first time, we're offering personal membership and personal access via a simple subscription service. So here's how you can become a member. During times of uncertainty and pressure, your mindset will be the key to your success. Sporting Edge members have unlimited personal access to hundreds of video insights and performance strategies to accelerate their personal and professional success. This is your chance to get powerful weekly micro-lessons from the world's best thinkers and performers from elite sport. You'll be able to connect with a global network of entrepreneurs, coaches and senior executives on webinars, discussion forums and events. Become a Sporting Edge member and get access to the world's best coaches on demand. For more information, visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. So we launched the Members Club in around a month's time, so register your interest and I'll send you through a special offer. There are hundreds of insights on around 70 performance themes to help you stay learning, stay growing and to stay at your best. There's absolutely no long term obligation. You can stay for as long or as short as you like, just as long as you're enjoying it and feeling that it's challenging you to improve. And that definitely brings me to our next factor in this GAPS acronym, which is all about the intrinsic motivator of autonomy. This feeling of having the freedom to choose and be self-directed in our work and lives. Again, this is quite hard to pinpoint, so it's best considered on a scale. Imagine at one end of the scale, you've got a boss that's micromanaging you. You feel like you're in a straitjacket and they're telling you how to do things, you know, when to do things and just to follow these detailed instructions. And then at the other end of the scale, we've got complete freedom where you can choose how you work, who you work with, where you work, and it's completely free for you to choose. You might be listening thinking, well, that sounds amazing. I'd love that kind of situation. But this isn't to say it's a carefree organisation that isn't bothered about results. What we're looking at here is how increasing the level of autonomy across our teams can actually improve performance. So we still want excellence. We still want high quality work delivered on time, but it's just the route to achieving that that we're exploring through this different motivational lever. So you might be somebody who's got the fear of failure and and who may be new to the role. So in that specific context, you might be thinking about, I don't want to be left to my own devices and, and not have a clear brief. I want to be really clearly told what to do by when and with what technique. So that's the beauty of this. We've all got to try and understand where we sit on each of these factors and how this motivational mix comes together. So what we're doing here is bringing awareness to these hidden gaps in our motivation and you'll have more self-awareness and more awareness of what motivates the people around you. Giving people a choice can have a profound impact on their motivation and their enjoyment, as we now hear from futurist James Wallman. 
being able to sort of choose what you do is incredibly important for people. And you can just think of it yourself. You know, you, you know when you go on one of those group holidays and all of a sudden you find yourself with the herd doing something. It's not what you want to do, but you go along with it. Those are actually pretty bad holidays until you escape and you go to the pub, of course, which is something you want to do. If you think about that philosophical experiment, the idea of the, of the pleasure machine, where you could have a choice, you get these two choices. One is you could plug yourself into, the, into a machine. Now, it wouldn't just give you happiness, not some sort of like just, you know, massive kind of serotonin boost. It would also give you challenges in life. So you might fail things, you might then succeed, or whatever is the right journey that would give you as an individual the ultimate in happiness by the end of your life. Or you can just carry on living your life as you are now and you'll get some happiness and some dip, but you won't get the same kind of optimum level of happiness. Now, what's your reaction when you hear that? Everyone has, almost everyone has the same. They would rather live and do their thing and have autonomy than have this perfect pleasure-filled life. That's, that says everything I think you need to know about autonomy. Do you want the perfect, happy existence or your life? We want our own, we wanna make it happen. So interestingly to James's point, some people must just love not having to make a decision on those holiday packages, which is why they exist. You know, they get told where to be, get on the ferry, get on the plane, check into the hotel, the bus leaves at this time. But clearly that's not his preference. You could tell by his reaction, but it's different motivational styles for, for different people. So we can translate that back across into the workplace. So again, I'm trying to make this as practical for you as a manager or a leader, or even for yourself, trying to boost autonomy in your own career. So think about these four factors. Do you have autonomy over the tasks that you do? So do you get a choice over the kind of things that you're working on? Do you have autonomy on the time that when these things are done? Is it uh, you know left to people's own devices? Can they work in the evening? Is it flexible around people's family lives and, and working from home? Or is it pretty much the nine to five deadlines? Is there any flexibility around the teammates? Can we choose who we work with? Can we work on different projects with different people? Because that might be more engaging and, and more motivating for us to work with the people that we get on best with or work best with. And then technique, again, can we be express ourselves in the way we deliver a piece of work? Or is there a, a formula that has to be followed with that sort of micromanagement style? Now, I've worked with financial services companies and, and they would be a great example of somebody that might be sitting thinking, well, hang on, we've got the FCA, you know, with the microscope looking at every process that we follow, uh, that financial regulation and that ethical conduct. Or you might be a coach of a teenage sports team who needs some concrete rules to stop them from running feral around the place. So you'll need to think about how much on each of these scales you give out motivation. But just one example that I can remember from working in elite sport, and that was where I was working with a, a particular team and the fitness trainer came to me and said, look, I'm, I'm battling to keep the lads motivated and engaged. We've been beasting them pretty hard and, and no one looks forward to these sessions. Is there anything that I can try and do to boost engagement? And, and one idea that we came up with together was that the physio and the fitness trainers pretty much knew within the different bands of heart rate and intensity and endurance of what the physical output that they were looking for. But we came up with the idea of giving the athletes or the players 
the chance to choose their weapon. They could either go on the the step machine, they could go on the treadmill, they could go on the stair climber or the rowing machine or the bike. And it was just that little bit of choice that boosted that feeling of autonomy and freedom and control that the athletes had going into that training session and it ended up being a really good one for them. So that's an example of how a fitness blast can be given the autonomy treatment and and given a little bit of choice that can have an impact. You know, and it's really relevant at the moment to think about, you know, people working from home. Obviously, there's some pretty structured businesses and some detailed deadlines that have got to be hit. But I'd be really interested to see how you can provide autonomy around task, time, teammates and technique with your teams to make sure that you're able to sustain people's motivation, given their challenges of working from home and help them to stay committed through this challenging period. Hi, I hope you're enjoying today's episode. I just wanted to introduce you to Sporting Edge's Winning Mindset program. It builds on many of today's topics and explores the six drivers which have emerged from our research into the psychology of high performance. We've distilled down the six strategies that separate the world's most successful people and have curated those into a digital coaching program so that you can develop them for your own career. As a professional cricketer, I always felt like my mindset was the biggest difference between my best and worst day, but we never spent any time developing it. That's why we've created this flexible 30-day program for entrepreneurs, execs, and sports coaches. We've had over a 1,000 delegates through the program in recent years, with an average of 10 to 15% uplift in their confidence, resilience, and well-being. So visit sportingedge.com to join our next cohort. Performing like a pro starts by thinking like one. The Winning Mindset is a pioneering digital coaching program from Sporting Edge. You'll have access to world-class thinkers and performers who'll inspire you with daily five-minute micro-lessons to boost your confidence, resilience, and well-being. You'll learn from Olympians, neuroscientists, productivity, and well-being experts with bite-sized strategies to help you raise your game. The Winning Mindset. Find out more at www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. So the third intrinsic motivator in this mix is purpose. And this is the reason why something exists or the reason why we do things. So many companies I've worked with are reassessing their purpose after an era that's been narrowly focused on commercial goals. And this definitely seems to be this shift towards longer term thinking and a broader definition of success, maybe developing products that are not just good for raking in cash in the short term, but that enhance the customer's life, their community, and they have a positive impact in the environment in the long run as well. So the teams that are purpose led don't just have a way to attract more sponsors because they've got a nice story to tell. They have a chance to unlock an emotional competitive advantage too. And the best example that I've seen came from working with the Proteas, the South African cricket team that I mentioned earlier. They set this goal of being number one in the world test rankings. And that was all about winning, all about status. But once they achieved it, their motivation seemed to fall away. So what can a coach do to motivate their players beyond being the best in the world, which seems so aspirational? 
Well, it turns out that working alongside the captain at the time, Graeme Smith, and the coach, Mickey Arthur, and the team manager, Dr. Mohamed Musaji, that the team were missing out on this huge opportunity to galvanise their diverse team around this powerful purpose that was unique to South Africa. I'd been in the management team for a couple of years and developed some pretty strong relationships and also brought in an expert and colleague in this area, Owen Eastwood. And we worked together with the management team to explore how this team's purpose could be leveraged to sustain and motivate the the team and also to drive performance. You can imagine what happens from a player's point of view. Uh, You've been on this sort of two year road to get fitter, stronger, work harder, have more forensic insight into opposition's tactics and you get to this number one slot across all the you know sacrifice that you've made and everyone's writing about you there are financial bonuses it's the coming of age everyone wants an interview with you and they're picking out individual stars that have transformed this team's fortunes they get maybe new sponsors and and they get a well-deserved chance to bask in the glory But the problem is sport doesn't wait. And over a period of a few weeks, the team had lost its momentum. The opposition were even more hungry to beat us. And that means we've got to be even better. So this relentless pursuit of of improvement and growth, one of those factors that we've already spoken about, was missing. So one of the key things was going back to that fundamental question of purpose. Why does the South African cricket team exist? It wouldn't be to create a platform for individual players or reward them for hitting an extrinsic target for getting to number one. Of course, success on the international stage is absolutely central for any international team. But if we're talking about a fundamental purpose, that's to represent the Rainbow Nation, to show what a truly diverse team can do for the country when it pulls together. As part of our research project, Owen found this Swahili philosophy called Ubuntu, which states that we're all human by being connected to each other. We're not living in isolation. And Nelson Mandela was so passionate about this. And Ubuntu suggests that you can't define your success in life by looking at your own car or finances or your house. You can only judge your success in life by the impact you have on other people. So putting into sharp focus for the proteas, that enduring purpose of having an impact on 60 million people, giving them hope of what a truly diverse team can do when they pull together. And this was bigger than any individual could achieve. This was longer lasting than any star's career would be, and certainly longer lasting than anyone's reign at number one. This is definitely kind of inspirational, emotionally engaging purpose that we can see galvanising that team. As we now hear from the former manager of the team, Dr. Mohamed Musaji. I think specifically in the South African context, I mean, it, it's the story, is a, it's a fascination. 23 years ago, um, we had had our first free and fair democratic election uh, and you had generations of cricketers that came from diverse, different backgrounds that had to play uh, under a unified banner. So that in itself was a challenge. With diversity, the most important thing is to understand and realize that there will be differences along race, along color, along religion. But it's what you do with that. Uh, from a South African perspective, we'd, uh, we've allowed ourselves 
to understand the differences, to understand the diversity, but at the same time to take that and use it as a strength. Uh, and we find that because of our diversity within our country, especially with our horrible past under the apartheid regime, it has driven people to come closer together in the country. And if you look at the healing to take place on a, on a national level, a lot of it has been driven through sportsmen because they are the heroes. We, we had a case uh, at the World Cup last year in uh, one of the T20 World Cups a few years ago where you had uh, a Muslim and a Jew opening the batting for South Africa. That in itself, from a, from a world peace perspective, uh, has a massive message. You have incidences where you give people coming from different backgrounds, acro ac across social classes, across racial statuses, across religious divides, that are playing for the common purpose. And the common purpose is representing your country, playing for the flag, playing for symbols, because that's what culture and identity is. So the pro-tiers understood that while the quest, the performance quest might be to get to number one in the world rankings or to win a World Cup, their purpose was to consider the way they interact with the seven different cultures within the team, how they inspire their local communities and how they inspire the thousands of kids growing up right across South Africa in every different area of the country, wondering what their future will be like. This had a massive impact on their performance too. And when the team started to be purpose-driven and consider the impact that they were having on other people as one of their key performance drivers being purpose-driven, they stayed at the top of the world rankings for around three years. We saw this same powerful purpose fueling the Springbok rugby team to the recent World Cup win and the captain Sia Khaleesi talking about his personal struggles as a boy growing up in the township. That team, he said, didn't feel any pressure when you've experienced growing up like that. They just wanted to inspire those local communities that anything was possible and they delivered on that dream and that purpose. So purpose is a massive motivator in challenging times and adversity. It is bigger than any of us as individuals. It can last longer than any of us in our lives. And those of you who listened to the incredible story of Dennis Goldberg and Ahmed Katrada, the anti-apartheid activists in episode eight of Inside the Mind of Champions, will have found that so inspiring. They endured so much adversity, but never lost faith in their purpose, which was to overthrow the apartheid regime. And in doing so, they changed the world. Well, you might be thinking, well, I understand how purpose can drive people in that situation or for a team like the Proteas, but you're wondering about how do I find my personal purpose? Well, a good place to start is by looking up Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. There's a lot of content online. And this is all about being honest and authentic. It's not about some, you know, edited Instagram version of what we'd like to look like. This is about trying to find something that comes from the inside out. It should feel honest and truthful and natural rather than polished and, and like a marketing campaign. And I suppose a couple of steps to start thinking about your purpose is, first of all, thinking about, you know, when have you been at your happiest and most fulfilled? 
Maybe it's been on stage making big speeches or maybe it's in a competitive situation in a small team or maybe it's helping people one to one. Look back at those times that you've had most fun and you're most proud of in your work and your values and purpose will probably be embedded in there. The second thing is start to look at your choices that you're making, your commitments in your diary and almost create some kind of audit that's driven by your purpose because what we need to make sure is that if our purpose is one thing and we're behaving and doing tasks that you know sit sit against that then we're going to be stressed and we're going to not be living out those values and purpose so we need to commit more time to doing the things that are aligned to our values and less time to the projects that aren't and if we scale that up we might start to think about the business that we're operating in as i mentioned many businesses are thinking about their model and their products and services and their purpose, their overarching purpose and responsibility to the economy and to society. But you might think, well, actually, am I in an organization where, you know, this is in keeping with my values or am I just sitting here to take the salary and have that stability? So that that's one thing that we've got to decide. If there is a clash, can we rationalize that or do we need to make some big decisions about finding a place where we'll be more fulfilled and more engaged, more intrinsically motivated because we believe in the product and we believe in that purpose of the organization. So we're exploring this in relation to our own personal uh, motivation. So we've got to think about how we'd give discretional effort to a company that either is in conflict with our our values or an organization that's, you know, in harmony with our values and purpose. So, you know, that would tell you which way to go as well. And the final of these gaps in our motivational mix, these intrinsic motivators, is the sense of community or a sense of belonging. Uh, That's the S, which uh, is all about been challenged at the moment, I guess. We've been, some family members have been shielded from the outside world. We've got our relationships being limited to small bubbles and, you know, some of our workforce operating in isolation from home. So this sense of community and sense of belonging is is definitely been dialed down at the moment. So as well as being essential to our mental health, some of our best moments in life actually come from being part of a, a community or a team that's striving for something that's ambitious and exciting. So when we think about our motivation and this sense of community and belonging, we only have to look at the exponential rise in Facebook to see that we are intrinsically driven to build communities and connection. This isn't something that we've needed payment for. It's something that we do of our own volition. Again, it's not an extrinsic motivation. Think about Wikipedia. This is thousands of people around the world who've already got jobs, but they're not getting paid to contribute to this online encyclopedia, but they're sacrificing and contributing and and doing it for a greater cause because they believe in it for free. So being part of a community is absolutely critical to our motivation, as we now hear from four times Olympic gold medal winner, Sir Matthew Pinson, as he reflects on the relationships he had from those rowing teammates as he went through four Olympic cycles. You know, I rowed with six people at the Olympic Games and kind of all of them are on my speed dial, as it were, uh, but I don't have to talk to them every day. 
In fact, um, I might go for weeks, if not months, without talking to them. And yet you'll walk into a room and you'll see one of the guys and you'll be kind of like, oh, I didn't know you were going to be here, some function or some sports event, whatever it might be. And you just, so much is unsaid. You don't have to say, flipping heck, it was brilliant. In fact, I can't think of an occasion where I've ever said that. Uh, and that bond between you is almost as strong as being a family. Almost as strong. It's almost a blood tie because you were there on that day and you were totally reliant on him and he on you in order to win. And that, you, you know, you can't, you, you can't describe that. You can't replace that with something else. You, it's, it's a very, very special and important relationship to have with those teammates. And that's, you know, that's, that's what makes it so magical. If, I, if I'd won on my own, I would just be kind of, well, you know, great. I'm, I'm the best in the world or I was the best in the world and here are my medals. Great. But for me, it's a magical element that someone else was there too to, to be part of that. I love that clip. You can hear that sense of belonging has created so much pride for Sir Matthew Pinson. It made him commit to those training days on freezing cold mornings on the lake and he stayed disciplined to his nutrition and lifestyle plans to make sure he delivered his part uh, of the team's commitment to each other. So how are you maintaining that sense of belonging as a motivator during these times of fragmentation and isolation? Is it family Zoom calls? Is it community exercise targets with the people who live around you? Or are you joining online yoga classes or maybe contributing to an online learning course or debate? For leaders, maybe get a chance to reflect on how you're bringing your workforce together around online calls or events to reinforce this sense of community and belonging. When we feel like we're making a valuable contribution to our community, then we're definitely going to be more motivated and engaged. So there we have it. That's the last of our GAPS intrinsic motivators with sense of belonging. And it's our final insight into motivation. Sarah emailed me to hello at sportingedge.com to ask, is there any way that uh, any strategies to motivate her team in the coming months? So I really hope that you've got some good strategies from this podcast episode, Sarah. As I was designing it, I realized that there's loads more we could have covered off. So I really hope that you can send through your personal questions or share them on LinkedIn so that we can really tailor another episode around this topic. And as we start to wrap up, I thought it'd be good to hear a final insight from Dr. Mohamed Musaji the former manager of the South African cricket team, who summarises this interplay between intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivators beautifully. I think with international sport, uh, there will always be money that's a lever, a motivational lever. There's no doubt about it. But at the same time, if there's some form of attachment to higher purpose, uh, whether it's got to be with the land that you represent, the country, the people, the nation. And it's interesting that in a South African perspective, not many countries has been through what South Africa has and South Africans don't need as much inspiration like the rest of the world, so to speak. And that in itself has driven the current group of South African uh, approaches, as we call them, to play 
for the country, for the 60 million people, and that's their overriding uh, achievement to represent the 60 million people. And winning is important, but it's not the only thing. So this interplay is different in every context, but we need both of these factors of intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation to be present to complete the mix. I really hope that you found this episode interesting. Remember that those standard extrinsic motivators are really powerful. We're going to be surrounded by those and they're so important, but we just need to keep them in perspective and make sure that we've got those intrinsic factors of growth, autonomy, purpose and that sense of belonging being dialed into the mix as well. The fascinating part about trying to understand our motivational mix is that we're all going to have different factors that motivate us and that can change through different times in our life. So we've almost got to view ourselves as that music producer who's in front of one of those massive mixing desks and each of those equalizers, those volume controls is looking at the extrinsic motivators of rewards and money and fame and rankings and the intrinsic motivators of mastery and growth and purpose and autonomy and that sense of belonging so that we understand how we can dial those up for our particular motivational mix. For some of us, fear of failure might be our biggest driver or autonomy might be the biggest thing. And for other people, maybe it's personal growth and purpose that's going to be much more motivating than being, you know, second or third or even first in a league table. So my challenge to you after this episode is to think through the role of each of these motivators in your own life and work to see if you can optimise the motivational mix to help you feel more fulfilled and more engaged for the road ahead. I've mentioned before, this is about you taking control. Uh, Maybe you need to ask for more autonomy or maybe if you've been made redundant over the last few months, you're starting to search for the kind of companies that you'd like to work for. And you might start to choose a company that's in line with your values with a really inspiring purpose. If personal growth and learning is your main motivation, then do register your interest for our new members club, which is launching at the end of October. You'll have access to over 600 video insights and success strategies and I'll be sending weekly coaching lessons out to all the members and we'll be joined by some really famous coaches and thought leaders in performance on some live online sessions as well, which is really exciting. It's the perfect way to stay ahead of the game. So if you're an ambitious executive, coach or entrepreneur, As soon as you press stop on this podcast, go across to sportingedge.com forward slash membership and register your interest because our members club is ready and waiting and I'll send you a special offer through. As ever, thanks so much for listening and I can't wait to hear your feedback on LinkedIn or through hello at sportingedge.com. Thanks for leaving those reviews and until next time, take care and mind the gaps. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.